Because we want to give him the first, the best part of the year and say, God, line us up with what you want to do this year. Not that we're trying to change God's mind and tell him what we want to see this year, but align our focus. In prayer and fasting, we come together as a body and say, align us, Lord, in what you want to do that you know, we're not on the detour ramp heading the wrong way, but that we're in his path and his plan and his will for this year. Like gasoline and oil in your car, you have to have both. Have you ever tried to drive your car without oil in it? Actually, we did at one time. We were, we were a younger couple and... Uh, was given an older vehicle, and one of those great big things. It's about as long as most people's houses, and um, it was wonderful, but I didn't realize how much of an oil hog it was. And um, everything stops quickly. You know, at least when you're running out of gas, you get that little pump, 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 you know. Oh, no, it like seizes up and, you know, and stops, and you're done. And... Yeah, I remember my dad, the mechanic, saying, no, anything, but the, you did check the oil. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. It's like, you know what happens to an engine when it seizes up without oil? It's the same thing with your life. You have to have prayer and fasting, or your life seizes up, it gums up. It, it, you're, you're constantly striving for something that you don't have to strive for. But you have to apply both the oil and the gasoline, both prayer and fasting. So first thing I want to do is I want to jump into prayer. Let's look at it. This is going to be a very simple message. But again, it's because I think over the years, the longer you become a Christian, I don't know what it is about human nature. We want to complicate things. And God says, you know, I want you back here, you know, simple as a child. Who's going to inherit the kingdom of God? Simple. As children, I said it, just believe it. God says, stop trying to complicate it. So we're going to look at prayer and fasting, not in a complicated, deep way, but a, a, a simple way so that we can grab a hold of it and run with it. Jesus knew how important it was to pray over and over again in the scripture. It says that he drew, withdrew from the crowd. Early in the morning, he would go off into a solitary place and pray. Why? Because it was his custom. It was ordinary. It was common in his life to get away with his father. Jesus said, when you pray, I want you to turn to two scriptures we're going to look at today, Matthew 6 and Isaiah 58. Prayer and fasting. Jesus teaches us both. He taught his disciples. He teaches us Prayer and fasting. A relationship cannot exist without a personal prayer time. And there is, there's prayer, there's personal prayer time, and there's corporate prayer time. And you need both of them as well. But personal prayer time is like that intimate marriage that you have with God. It's got to exist. You've got to have that face time and that shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time. We learn that in our marriage classes, that women develop relationships face-to-face. -face. I mean, you ever get in an argument with your spouse and the woman says, Would you just look at me? Look at me! Look at me! Hello? Because she's got to have your attention. She's got to have that face-to-face -face time. 
because that's how she develops relationships. Guys, they develop relationships shoulder to shoulder. You don't have to say a word. Just sit here. I think most of the men want to say that to their wife. Just don't say a word. Just sit here with me. Because that's how they develop relationships is shoulder to shoulder. With God, the perfect, I think we heard it today in, in um, some of the word that was speaking, that a love like a marriage, you're my bride. God calls us as church as a bride. That he needs both that face-to-face. -face. We need that both that face-to-face -face God with God and that shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time with God. Face-to-face, -face, personal prayer time, that intimacy. That, God, I won't seek your hand for what you can give me, but I just want to look at your face. And then shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, God, like a cadre, like a band of brothers, arm-to-arm, -arm fighting with. So personal prayer time is that intimate Face to face. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Starting in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when, there it is again, when you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as... It is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. Let me keep reading here. Verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now I ask you to bring your paper Bible because unless you think it's like sacrilegious or something, you need to mark in your Bible. You need to make notes. You need to draw attention to some words. And let me just do that for you. Over and over again he said, and when? When? You circle every time he says when. That means it's a command. He's not saying if you feel like it. Or else he would have said if you feel like it. He said, when you do. Who's he talking to? He's talking to us, his disciples. He's talking to his believers. It's that important. When you put oil in your car. <laughs> when you put gas in your car. Not if you feel like it. Because I'll tell you, I never feel like it. I hate putting gas in my car. I really do. I like keep running and I'll push that little button that says, how many more miles do I have till empty? And if I can just wait till I know Brian's going to be with me in the car. 
Then I'll say, oh, honey, look, it's almost out of gas. We better stop. <laughs> How did that happen? He said, when, when you pray. He said, do not be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corners and blah, 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 right? He called them hypocrites. Now, to be a hypocrite means that you're not doing something in private that you're doing out in public. So he called them hypocrites, but they'll go ahead and boisterously pray out loud. They're not praying at home. He said, do not be like that. Pray at home. In secret, close the door. When you pray, go into your room. Set aside intimate time where you can speak freely and listen intently. That's called communion with God. You can't have a relationship with someone and not communicate with them. I mean, let's all admit it. We all have friends who it seems like everything in the conversation gets twisted to them. Hey, well, I think we just heard this at conference on the ministry where someone says, hey, you know, I just took the family to Disney World. Yeah, I went to Disney World two years ago, and then 20 minutes later, you're telling your whole, you know, you're still telling your story, and they're like, okay, I thought I was going to tell you something, but don't we get the same way with God? Communion means there's communication, both give and take. There's listening and speaking. To close your door and go in private means that you can go ahead and spill your guts out, tell them the truth, like he doesn't already know that. He, he searches your heart. It says he knows the deep things. He knows what you're thinking before you even think it. He knows your thoughts before they even cross your mind. So when you speak that out, you have when you close the door, you have the opportunity to just pour it out. I mean, guys, let's admit it. You're not romantic in any way, but when you first are Twitter-pated and no other guy is around to hear you, oh, baby cake, I just love you, sweetie, I think about you all the time. Right? Well, that's why, you know, the man's side of God is like, go ahead and close the door. <laughs> Step in here and let's communicate with each other. Let's have communion. You can cry and blubber and snot before me, and it's okay. But then listen to me. I have something to say back to you. And that's what this morning was. Did you hear that? When we give quiet time to God, he's speaking all the time. But when will you stop and listen? And I don't know about you, but that tends to be hard for me. You know, I'll like get into prayer. Oh, uh, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what, and this and this and this. It's like, okay, well, it's time to go now. He said, communion time. Close the door. Get in quiet with me go ahead and pour out your heart to me but then listen to me don't babble on like the pagans now i really searched i'm like god what does that mean don't babble on like the pagans because you already talked about not being a hypocrite i understand that that they're praying out loud when they're not praying at home i understand that but don't babble on like the pagans what did he what did he say after that don't babble on like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Babbling on like the pagans is saying, God, here's my problem, and this is how I want you to fix it. 
you know, God, go get the president now, you know, get him and send and do this. And, you know, you're telling God how to fix all the problems. Does God need you to tell him how to fix all the world's problems? That's babbling and foolishness, isn't it? When you bring your prayer request for God and go ahead and slip in your answers too, and this is how I want you to answer it. You ever have one of your children come to you and say, this is what I want you to do for me today? Oh, really? <laughs> Let's just see if that happens. But when they just say, you know, this is my heart, this is what, you know, I was thinking about today, then isn't it like every parent that says, I want to fill that need? But if the child comes to you arrogantly, like babbling, like pagan, let's just say, and tells you, I had this need and this is how you're going to fill it, right? Going on. I want to encourage you, the part here, uh, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, I mean, people argue back and forth what it should be called. I don't care. It's just prayer. Um, I really encourage you to seek out. Bill Johnson has done amazing studies on this Lord's Prayer and breaks down every little word. I don't have time today to do that. I just want to encourage you to go after that for yourself. Be a Berean. Study it out. Search the scriptures. I want to go on and just one little point here. When he says, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, pray, believe, expect. If it exists in heaven, it's to exist here on earth. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray, believe, and expect as it is in heaven. And he says that in Matthew 18, 18, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be or has already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be or has already been loosed on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give me everything I'll need. This should be your prayer every day. God, give me everything I'll need to face today. Give me everything I'll need to face today. And forgive me as I forgive others. Humbling prayer right there. Because he even went on at the end of this, you see, that he says, as you forgive others is how I'll forgive you. So you need to put that in your prayer every day. God, help me to forgive others because I know you'll only forgive me as much as I forgive others. Ooh. Then help me, Lord, to be quick like water off a duck's back, to let it just run off me, to not hold on to anything, not to take an offense at anything, but to quickly forgive, quickly forgive. At last night at Cornerstone Connect, there was a song that they were singing. I, I don't even know if you sung it today, but... Um, one little line in there that says, I run to you because of mercy. Is that how that sentence go? Amy, correct me if I'm wrong. It says something about, um, I'm running to you, you know, like all abandoned. I can run to God because of mercy. Because of mercy. Forgive. God, I can 
I can expect you'll forgive me as I forgive others and lead us not to, into temptation. And a simple explanation of that is, God, guard my heart that I would be satisfied in you alone. Guard my heart that I wouldn't seek after anything else to satisfy that need. That we're all born with that little God-shaped hole in our life. And the only thing that fits in that hole is God. So guard my heart, God, that I wouldn't allow anything to tempt me. That I'd be satisfied in you alone. When our heart, our mind, and our spirit come together in agreement, that's when prayers are powerful. James 5.16 says, The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. Something happens during these personal prayer times that prepares us for public ministry. I've heard minister after minister say that they get on their face before God consistently. God, fill me, give me everything I need so that when I go out in public, I can take the risk that I know you're going to ask of me. But if we're constantly taking steps, but we're not getting filled up, we will seize up. We need that personal prayer time to be filled up. And there's things that happen in that personal prayer time that cannot happen or you cannot get anywhere else. There's a story I heard years ago of two lumberjacks. One, an old seasoned lumberjack. He knew wood. He knew how to handle it. He's been out there in the forest years and years and years. And one day a young uh, lumberjack was hired and said to go out and work with the older lumberjack. Well, in his pride and cockiness, he came to the older, more mature, yet still old lumberjack and said, how about today we have a competition? We'll see how much you what you can cut on your own, and I'll see how much I can cut on my own, and we'll compare at the end of the day. An old lumberjack is, sure. Why not? We have to cut wood anyway. He said, you go over there, and I'll go over here, and we'll compare at the end of the day. So the two part ways, and they're working away, and cutting wood, and the young vibrant, strong lumberjacks working and working. But every time he peered through the trees and looked over at the old man, he was taking a break. He's like, this is going to be sad. That poor old man, he has to keep sitting down, taking a break. You know, I should probably slow down a little bit, he's thinking, so I don't embarrass him too bad. But, you know, he needs to see how strong and how powerful I am and how much better I am compared to him. Well, at the end of the day, here comes the older man up to the younger lumberjack and said, well, it's about quitting time. And so the young man, all pride-filled, showed him his great big pile of wood and said, look at all that I accomplished today. And the old man said, well done. It, it is a good, yes, that's a good amount of wood. He said, but come, let's take a look at what I did today. And so as they walked through the woods, the young man's eyes got bigger and bigger as he came to a pile of wood that wasn't twice as much as he had 
three times as much as what he had done that day. And he's just shocked and, and, and bewildered. He has no idea. And he asks the old man, how did you cut three times more wood than I did? Every time I looked at you, you were sitting down. How did you do it? And the old man, filled with all his wisdom, just turned and looked at him and said, yeah, but every time I sat down, I was sharpening my axe. You see, personal prayer time sharpens our sword. So when God calls us out in public, we'll have a sharp sword. Two-sided. But see, most of the time, most Christians are beaten away with this dull sword through the world when things come at us and we're like, ah! it's like a little Nerf sword, you know. It's not doing anything. And then we cry to our friends, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. No, you're not. Sit down and sharpen your sword. And there's no more effort in it than God himself. You don't have to strive for it. It's been accomplished as it is in heaven. But you need to sit down, personal prayer time, and sharpen that sword. Corporate prayer time. Corporate prayer opens up your heart to the needs of others. Not only does it bring encouragement, repentance, edification, joy, and the feeling of love, love among believers, it shows the body of Christ working together, submitting to the will of God. In prayer, we are to align our lives with God's purposes leaving our desires behind. And when it's all about God and his divine will, we can have confidence that our prayers will be answered. Always remember it's all about his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. Again, Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Corporate prayer, Jesus speaks to that and says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask for, it will be done for you. By my Father in heaven, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with you. It's in corporate prayer times that we use our sword to fight the battle. For every soul. For the advancing of the gospel. Jesus tells Peter in Matthew 16, 18, and 19, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And he says, here it is. I give you the keys right now to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever, here it is again. Whatever you bind on earth will be or has already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be or has already been Loosed in heaven. Let me just tell you, if I hand you the keys to my house, you have all access to the resources within it. And he handed it to Peter and said, it's right here. Here's the keys. You want to know how to unlock the resources of heaven? Here's the keys. Here's the keys. Personal prayer is the life blood of the individual. Corporate prayer is the lifeblood of the church. The church rises and falls upon its prayer.
together. Not as their private personal prayer time, but as their duty as a church body to pray together. To raise up a standard of righteousness, to be the light in the darkness, and to fulfill the great commission. It's our duty to pray together. This is why we're refocusing our Wednesday night prayer time. Why we're refocusing our corporate uh, cornerstone connect worship time we're looking in the right direction like looking through binoculars you ever have somebody say hey look at this and hand you binoculars and you're like where where and all of a sudden they take your head and go over there and you go oh hey or else i i i mean i'm not a complete moron but i was looking through binoculars and my dad's like when they first moved to, on the lake and he's like can't you see that loon out there and i'm like no and he's like moving my head and i'm like i I don't see it. And he moves this little thing right here. And it focuses in. And I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> We're looking in the right spot. We just need to dial in a little bit more. So when we come together for corporate times to pray that we're not focusing on, oh, woe is me, I'm horrible. That kind of, you know, close the door. Go in your prayer room, do that. You know, sharpen your sword there. When we come together in corporate times, it's to take out that take out that sword and begin to fight for the souls of those that haven't come in yet. For the advancement of the gospel, for raising the standard of righteousness in the body of Christ, for shining the light. That's the time we need to fight together. And then for the last few minutes, this can't be right. Stop it. Anyway, let's look at fasting. Because again, oil and gasoline, you have to have prayer. You have to have fasting, prayer and fasting. And I'll tell you, your flesh is like a little two-year-old throwing a tantrum when it comes to talking about fasting. I've heard more excuses of why people can't fast. That, I mean, it's like... Really? Really? When your flesh cries out, I had a pastor one time, and I'm like, I struggle with fasting. I just don't like it, and I don't think we're really called. Maybe I can, I'll fast uh, using sticky notes. I think that's what I'm supposed to fast. Ooh, that would be hard for me, wouldn't it, Shannon? But food, no, God doesn't want me to fast food. And, you know, uh, you know no, I don't think it. He says, you know what I do, Brenda? He says, when I'm fasting and my stomach growls, he says, I treat it like that two-year-old that's thrown a fit. And I say, quiet! I'm working here. I'm like, that's true, it is. It's like, feed me! Like, down! Quiet! It says, doesn't it say to beat your body into submission? crucify the flesh, it will cry and moan and throw a fit and you don't even, I mean, what was it? Grandma D used to say that my, I'm so hungry, my stomach feels like my throat has been, has been cut, yeah, or it's scratching on my spine. I mean, she used to have all the sayings, but it's just really, fasting has to be 
just as important as prayer is in your life because it says to the flesh you're not in control. And so if you have to yell at that growling belly once in a while, which mine is growling now that I started talking about it. Yours did too? <laughs> Quiet! I'm doing work here. Fasting essentially does one thing. Maybe I should use my Trump fingers. Fasting <laughs> essentially does one thing. It places us in a position to receive from God by altering our daily routine. Real simple. Fasting intensifies God's power and presence in our lives. Why? Because we're focusing on him. Not on what we want, I want, I want, I want, I want, but on him. Andrew Murray says, fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal, and prayer is reaching into what is unseen and grabbing a hold of that. You need both. Jesus goes on to explain in uh, Matthew 6. I'm going to hit this pretty hard because I want to get over into Isaiah 58. Um, he goes on to say, explains when you fast. Just like he said, when you pray, he said, when you fast. It's not an if, if you feel like it. It's when. He said, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. There he is calling them hypocrites again. I guess their routine was to go around with their, um, their cheeks sucked in. Really? Look it up. Really? So they could show that they, and they would show over like this. And you'd be like, oh, you're fasting. Anyway, uh, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's that same reward. He said when you have personal prayer times with God, when you have, and you cry out in private, and you listen intently to him, he will reward you. He says the same thing about fasting. When you do this for him and not for others, he will reward you. Uh, but I think some Christians have taken this too far. They're like, well, it's got to be done in secret, so I can't tell anybody in my household when I'm fasting. Oh, Pasha. That just makes for quite a stressful time of fasting. In our household, we learned the wrong way, and then we started doing it the right way. When we had the 12-plus people living in our house, and we would, you know, say, okay, it's fasting times. We would make these confusing meals. And people would get offended. Well, I'm fasting me. Well, I'm fasting blue things. Well, I'm fasting green things. Oh, that would be Cassie's fast, wouldn't it? Green things. Any veggies. When she goes on a Daniel fast, it's the opposite of. Like, no vegetables, no fruits. Um, so what we did in our household, we learned the wrong, and then we went around, we started pointing fingers at everybody. I thought you was fasting sweets. You know, there's sugar in that coffee you're drinking, you know. It was horrible. So, yeah, fasting police. 
So what we did is when we know that we're going to be fasting or one of us or all of us together, we start discussing it with each other. I think God's telling me that I'm going to fast this. So, um, you know, help me put the schedule together, menu together for what's God telling you. So discuss it with your household. So your wife doesn't come home and prepare you a great big meal and you flip your nose up at it and say, sorry, I'm fasting today. Boy. Would have been nice to know. Because really, I could do with a salad. I didn't even have to make this, you know, so just discuss. Okay, so he's talking about private, that the disfigured face, the, um, you know. But discuss with the household, you know, what you're doing so you have unity when you do this. The Full Life Study Bible says no religious act has any value to God if it does not come from those who humbly strive to obey his commands and who compassionately reach out to those in need. So you can fast all day long, every day for the rest of your life. But if it isn't coupled with, coupled with obeying his commands and loving others and serving others and meeting other people's needs, it's not accomplishing anything. But I want to jump into Isaiah 58 for the last few minutes, hopefully just a few minutes. Isaiah 58, see what we looked at was Jesus' model for prayer and fasting. God lays out his model for fasting in Isaiah 58 that has just blown my mind in the last, you know, in the last few months. Every time I open up my Bible, and flipping over, I try to read a proverb of the day just because I don't know. I do. I don't know. But anyway, I try to read some New Testament. Old Testament. I always flip open to Isaiah 58. And God really started burning on my heart that Isaiah 58 is not just a model for when you fast. It's a model for you to live a fasted life. So if you start living these ifs that we'll talk about in a minute every day, whether you're going without food or not, and again, it's a when, so you need to fast, but that you're living these ifs every day. You have access, that's the keys, you have access to the wills, God's wills that we'll look at, his promises. You can't claim his promises without doing the ifs. It's like uh, one of my kids saying, um, I get allowance on Friday. Really? What work did you do Monday through, you know, Thursday? There's some work in order to get the allowance. That's like you going to your boss and saying, um, I want my paycheck today. Oh, really? Did you work last week? Well, no, I decided I didn't feel like working last week. But you want your paycheck. You can't claim the God's promises without doing the ifs first. And so we'll look at them. But this is a lifestyle I want you to get into. And if your Bible has marks like this in it, it means you're starting to, to grab a hold of, that's, again, if you don't feel like it's sacrilegious to write in your Bible, but I started making notes and started circling things, so I'm going to point out a couple things to you. Let's just read it, and as we read it, if you want to, I'm going to say circle that. But if you don't want, you don't have to circle. It's okay. Isaiah 58, shout it 
aloud, starting at verse 1. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They asked me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they cry? Why have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrel, quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. I mean, you, we get mean when we're hungry, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying on sackcloth and ashes? Aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore? Thank you, Jesus. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And now here he's going to lay out. I'll go ahead and do it because I know all of our stomachs are growling now. Here's the cake he lays out before you. He wants to show you the end result. Here's the beautiful three-layer cake with the thick buttercream frosting on it, and it's just moist, and I can smell it now. Here it is. He said, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? That's the cake. It says, here's the result. This is what I want to happen from fasting. So, ladies, sorry, men who are bakers too. So what do we do? If you see a, a cake and you're like, I want to bake that cake, what do you do? It's not complicated, remember? We look for the recipe. How do I bake that cake? And then he gives us the recipe. He lays it out for us. I love, I mean, this is the sandwich right here. Because first he's going to give you some promises. You know, this is the result. This is how good it's going to taste. Now all you have to do is this. And then you get this too. So he's laying out a little bit more of this is how good it's going to taste. He says, then your light, if this is a result, if you go after this cake, then your light will break forth like the dawn. I want you to circle every then and every will. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. 
then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. He lays it out. That's how nice that frosting is right there, baby. Don't that taste good? Don't you want that? Yeah. Drool coming out. So here it is. With every if, I want you to put a little triangle. I did triangle just because it's like a yield sign to me. It reminds me there's something I need to do right there. Slow down, not speed up. Anyway, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, here it is, the thens and the wills again, circle them, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. If, there's that if again, triangle. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable. And if. You honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words. He tops it off again, more circling. Then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, if you look back at what you just circled and put triangles around, you'll notice that there's five ifs, five thens, but 19 God wills, 19 promises he gives us if we just do these five things. If you do these five things, then equal to... God will do these 19 promises. You'd think it'd just be 10, 5, 5, and 10. There's your math lesson for me. But he says, you know, blow that out of the water. 19. If you start living this fasted lifestyle and start living these five ifs, you can every day grab a hold of those 19 God promises and stand on them as it is in heaven, so it is right now. Because here's the keys. I have the access. God's given me the resources. The five ifs are actually broke up into two that affect us. And three, or two that affect others. Us to others. And three that affect us to God. Two specifically on how we are selfish toward others. He says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression. Again, when, you are, when you're looking at understanding the Bible, 
And there is a great study, actually, um, uh, Michigan District. I, I'd have to look it up. Um, one of the classes I had to take was how to study the Bible correctly. Scripture interprets Scripture. It's precept upon precept. It's truth upon truth. So when you're looking at this and you see, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, we were actually told, then you ask the how. How do we oppress others? And you continue to read with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, how do we do it? With the pointing finger and the malicious talk. You actually oppress others. And I want to encourage you, we did a huge study on this back, I think it was on the strong man part two. So get that message or go online, podcast, we have it all on there. The strong man part two, I like tear apart this um, verse 6 where we look at the, um, the cake the end result and what every one of those little words mean the oppression, the injustice, the untying the loose, the breaking, the court um, but I'm just looking today at the if so if, our five ifs if you do away with the yoke of oppression how do we oppress others? with the pointing finger and the malicious talk I'm sure none of you have ever sat with somebody who does that? I catch myself doing that. And I've had to say out loud. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. You know, I, it's human nature. But you don't excuse it and keep doing it. It's like growing up. You don't still poop in your diapers, do you? Well, some of it. No, I'm just, you notice that doesn't feel right anymore. Need to grow up. And not do that anymore. So with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, correct yourself. No, naughty. Who was just telling me that? Crystal was. That Rosa, when she was younger, used to yell at her hands. You shouldn't do that. You're going to get in trouble. Sorry, I'm telling on Crystal and Rosa. And I'm thinking, that is, we should do that. Like we yell at her stomach. Do away with that pointing finger. That malicious talk. If you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry... How do we do that? By satisfying the needs of the oppressed. So the thing that you're apt to point a finger at and make comments about, maliciously talk about, instead of talking about them, go fix it. Go do it. I hate how every time I walk in the sanctuary, the chairs are all not organized. They're not straight. Fix it. Come in early and fix it. Satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Satisfy those things that you would rather point your finger at and just maliciously talk about. Stop pointing your finger and start doing something about it. Don't make this complicated. Again, keep it simple. Number three, here it is. So those were the two that talk about our, our selfishness toward others. And then the three here now talk about our selfishness toward God. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, so we ask, how do we break the Sabbath? By doing what we please on God's holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight, how do we call the Sabbath day a delight? Well, how do you delight in something? You're excited about it. 
Have you ever gotten up on Sunday morning and begrudgingly, oh, Sunday morning, gotta go to church? Well, that will get God excited for you coming to church. I mean, imagine, and this is his day, right? Sunday is his day. So if we treated his day like our birthday, and I'll just say that because I just celebrated my birthday. And I love gifts, and I love people swooning over my birthday. Don't ask me my age, but I love, you know. Could you imagine, what if my family, oh, it's mom's birthday. Oh, do we have to do this again? Didn't we just do this last year? Yay. Woo, yay. You know, how do we delight in the Lord's day? Be excited about it. Yeah, church. I wake up my kids singing in the morning. They hate that. But I'm like, it's Sunday. Woohoo! Let's go. I do that for school every day, though, too, don't I? I'm more excited about the school every day than they are. Anyway. So if you call the Sabbath a delight, if you're happy about it, and then the fifth one, if you honor it, how do we honor it? He goes on to say, by not going your own way and not doing as you please. And when he said he tagged on and don't speak idle words, I've been confused about that one. And I have to admit, sometimes we insert our understanding in here and I had to right there because I thought, what idle words in, in context with the holy day and honoring it and delighting in it, would we speak idle words? You ever hear people's excuses of why they can't come to church? Like, yeah, it's like blah, 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 blah. You know, when somebody gives you an excuse of why they don't have a birthday gift for you. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no. Sorry. No. No. Hey, I just threw that in there. So two ifs are about our selfishness toward others. Do away with oppression, pointing fingers, malicious talk, and satisfy those needs. The last three ifs is about our selfishness toward God. Stop doing as you please on, his, on the Sabbath. Delightfully look forward to honoring God one day a week. That's the five ifs. And you get 19 God wills. Can you start living the five if fasted lifestyle? God, I will focus my attention on living a fasted lifestyle so that I have those keys to unlock those 19 promises that you're giving me. I'm skipping all that. I'm wow, running out of time. All somebody else's fault. Probably Denny's. He's Pastor Denny. Always, it's always his fault. All right. So what we've given you in your bulletin: prayer and fasting points for this these next ten days. Again, corporate prayer coming together. So you need to spend private time in prayer, sharpening your sword, laying these out, listening to God, presenting these requests, and then listening to God. And then you need to participate in the corporate prayer times, too. Wednesdays at 6.30, we come in here. 
We have a soaking time, which just means it's a time for you to have quiet time alone to kind of like let everything, you know, go in your mind and just, God, I'm focusing on you, I'm focusing on you. So then when we turn together and have a corporate time together, we all can pull out our swords at the same time and say, now it's time to fight for the souls of those who still need to come in. And let's pray for revival. Let's pray that the church raises up a standard of righteousness, that we shine like the light that we're called to be, that we're fulfilling the Great Commission. So in closing, really, seriously, 20 minutes ago in closing, I'm stopping that timer. We are commanded to pray and fast. It's not a suggestion. It's not if you feel like it. It's not give me a hundred excuses for why you can't. It's do. We are commanded to. So my challenge, my question to you today, will you commit to fast these next ten days in order to realign your focus and your priorities to start living a fasted lifestyle? fasted lifestyle that says those five things, God, are my priority now. You notice two are only us dealing with others. Two. But three of them talk about our dealings with God. And he says it all revolves around this holy day. If you could just give me one day. You know, this day does a lot more than people realize that that corporate time, that elbow, that shoulder to sh- elbow, shoulder to shoulder time with other brothers and sisters, is that cadre of, you know, how was your how was your week? Well, you know what, it, it was pretty bad. Well, let me pray with you. Now, Dale, how was your last doctor's visit? Did everything come out okay? Was was it, you know actually, I'm a little concerned. Well, let me pray with you today. You got it, buddy. It's not a complaint time. It's a partner with me time. It's not let me try to tell you how bad my week was so that, you know, I can outdo how bad you think your week was. But it's a partner with me. This time is a time for brothers and sisters and a cadre to lock arms and fight with each other. Not against each other, not against us in the world. It's us for the world. It's a co-laboring with Christ. He laid out the sacrifice. And then he put the sword in our hand. And he said, now go. And take it in my authority. In my power. Go. Pray. Heal. Set free. Freely I've given to you. Now freely go give to others. This one day a week realigns our focus bands with other brothers and sisters and says I'm going for God's glory so when we just as we're ending I'm also challenging you if if you've got your binoculars on already and you've already given your heart to the Lord and you're already looking intently at the cross and you're saying here I am God Ask God by His Holy Spirit to just kind of dial in that focus a little bit. Help me to really focus in on what you're calling me to do. 
And over these next 10 days, I'll do that, God. I'll, I'll just submit myself to you to just dial that in. But if you're sitting here today and you've never even picked up the binoculars, you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you've never committed or, or recommitted your life, maybe you you did when you was a child and then you kind of went off your own way, today's your day to do that. But today, God, I ask you to come be not just the Savior of my life, but the Lord of my life. I give you the reins to my life. You're not the co-pilot in my life, Lord. I get out of the driver's seat and I'm asking you to be the pilot of my life. Tell me, realign me to the will, the purpose, the plans that I was born to fulfill. Help direct me back to that. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, God, we just do that right now in closing. We just focus on you, God. And while you start aligning by your Holy Spirit, the focus of, of some believers, God, I ask right now if there's those individuals in here that need to surrender their life back to you, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you just begin to flood them with that love that you spoke to us about earlier. That unconditional love that we can't hide from, we can't earn, we don't deserve. But you have freely given us that love. And that forgiveness. That as we forgive those who have sinned against us, you will forgive us our sins. And so right now in a symbolic act, God, we just shake off all that unforgiveness that we have in our life. God, we ask that you forgive us, oh God, as right now, as we forgive others. We let go of all those offenses. We let go of all that unforgiveness, God, and we just focus on your forgiveness, God. I ask you right now to become the leader, the Lord of our life. And you can make it a, a commitment to God in your own words, praying out however, you know, the Holy Spirit moves you. God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I'll serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. 